This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today, you guys, I'm riding solo, but I have a guest, and she is a special one who can show you how to get some money. doesn't matter where your income is at right now. She can show you how to take those baby steps, or if you're ready for the big steps, learn about property preservation. Learn about tax liens. I have Miss Danielle Pierce. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty awesome, Kellen. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, great, great. But it's all about you. And on Diversified Game, we love to give the game. When I saw you on your YouTube, and then I, I, I saw, oh, wait, hold on. She's had mentions on Forbes. Um, and I saw that later, right? So I said, let me make sure I mention that so people don't say, well, how do we know she knows what she's talking about? And she's also been on Your Black World. You guys know um, Dr. Boyce Watkins, a friend and former guest of the show. You know, she so she knows what she's talking about or these places would not allow her to, you know, talk right or any of that good stuff. Tell us, how did you get involved in this? Sure. Uh, it's so funny that you mentioned Forbes because I, I honestly never mentioned that. I never leave with that uh, whenever I'm talking to people. But yeah, I've been in Forbes, uh, featured in Forge, Forbes. I'm a member of the Forbes Real Estate Council, Black Enterprise, Black and Married with Kids. Uh, the His and Her Money podcast, uh, quite a few places, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the way that I got started in real estate. So initially, like lots of folks, I went to college, um, had the, I've always got good grades. And I told myself that I was going to climb the corporate ladder and break the glass ceiling. And I was going to make partner in a public accounting firm. And I was just going to be this awesome corporate rock star. And um, nobody specifically told me to do that, but that was just kind of what's uh, subconsciously embedded in my in my brain throughout childhood, and so I do that. Actually, I get to college by way of a caddy scholarship because I was a caddy starting at the age of thirteen at a golf course, and so I ended up getting a scholarship to U of I in Champaign. And I majored in accounting, and I believe the only reason why I did that is because the only other person that went to college in my family majored in accounting. Because other than that, I have no clue why I picked that. But I stayed with it, graduated, got my degree, got my first job. I was gonna. I thought I was rich. I was making like fifty thousand dollars a year. I was like, um, "Yeah, life's great. <laughs> Could it be any better than this?" And then I got my first check from that job. And that first check, which I thought was gonna be about, I knew everyone takes some taxes out, Kellen, but I didn't know I was gonna go from like nineteen, almost two thousand dollars to less than twelve hundred dollars. So wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> and I lasted in corporate. I lasted in corporate for five years, but I knew right away that. I wasn't going to stay there forever. Like I knew that within the first three months or so. I was like, this cannot be what I, what life, like Jesus did not die on the cross for me to, to go and, and endure this every day. And the weird thing is that everybody else complained about the job, but everyone, you know, no one ever left. And I was just like, yeah, that's not going to be me. So long story short, got laid off, thought I was ready for it. I was not. So I struggled for quite a few years as an entrepreneur trying to figure it out. I've always been in real estate, but just couldn't really find 
I want to say couldn't find my footing. I just, like a lot of people, I just flip-flopped. I was inconsistent. And so finally I decided, you know what, I'm going to stick with these two things, which so happened to be working with foreclosed properties, which is property preservation and then tax lien investing. And that's how I came to be here today. And, and, and can you talk about, I like for the, for the, I'm thinking about the young person who says, wow, okay, she went from there to there to there, but you said some key things. And I, and I researched and, and heard you talk about being a caddy. So I'm going to come back to that. Yes. But when you did get laid off, and then go right into business. Did, did you have a nest egg? If so, what did it look like? And if not, how did you then take those next steps? Because we know that just even stepping off that porch into entrepreneurship is the hardest part. And I know you've talked about numerous times in your video, the perfectionists and people, um, you know, for whatever reason, thinking they're not ready. And, and once my kids graduate, or, you know, once this happens, that happens laid off I mean do you then take your unemployment or pension and say okay I'm gonna let it all ride on me what how do you, what was that like so what that looked like in real life is that uh, when, when they laid us off they cashed out all of our stock so at the time I had about thirty thousand dollars in stock at the company um, which was a company in Chicago and so I got that money as like thirty thirty two thousand dollars in my fidelity account I was like huh yes winning and then I was also doing my first flip at the time and so a few months after that my uh, first flip sold and that was like $26,980 and then I actually did end up getting paid from equity office for I think they paid us for six months so all of that so just people always say how they if they were a celebrity and they had the chance to make you know $200 million that they would never be broken they would never lose it like people can't fathom that but I would, I would say to anyone that it doesn't really matter how much money you're blessed with. If your mindset isn't there, you'll always run, you always dwindle that money down to match the level of your, where your, um, your thinking is. So I grew up with no money and broke single family household, single parent household. And so money was always very, very scarce. So to me, you know, 30,000 here, 26,000 there, and I'm still getting paid for six months. That was literally like, like the ultimate bubble for me, thinking that I had all this money at my disposal. So what I did is not actually pay off any debt. I didn't actually start any business. I didn't actually start any franchise or buy a franchise. I just pretty much spent most of the money, Kelly. Like I just kicked it, went to parties, went to concerts, uh, got clothes. I paid a little bit down on my car because I had a Monte Carlo at the time, which I loved Monte Carlos. I love all Monte Carlos from the 70s, 80s. to Like I love them. And that's what I did because again, even though I have an accounting degree, I worked in corporate America. I did taxes. Um, I just, my mindset was that of a person with very little money and very little options for money. And so once that dwindled out, that's when I decided to try to figure out the whole entrepreneurship thing. And I really couldn't figure it out by myself because I didn't know any entrepreneurs. I didn't have that, that circle around me. My family certainly wasn't entrepreneurs. And so everybody was like, well, yeah, uh, when are you going to go back to corporate again? When are you going to get your job? And then for me, it was like, well, you want to kind of make it seem like everything is going well, that you, you kind of kill in the entrepreneur game and you're not. So it was a very, very intense struggle. It took me five, a little over five years to replace my corporate salary. And then like another year after that to finally hit the six figure mark. So it was a very um, arduous process, primarily because I, um, I didn't know what to do. I was just kind of floating. 
and I didn't, uh, I wasn't that good at asking for help and not that good at get ask, uh, following directions when I did get help. So that's and, the truth. And, and, and I think now we jump into, I was a caddy because when you have a caddy, if you're not listening to your caddy, you might as well just, you know, play at the miniature golf or just shoot at the range because the caddy is like the catalyst to how well you're going to do terrible caddy and you know they know the green they know what's going on so how does a caddy not listen to, to the advice and and then i'm going to stay on the caddy thing okay but um were you just kind of maybe were you, were you was it hard-headedness or was it that you really felt like okay my plan is the best plan and no one else or was there no one else since you didn't have family or friends that did business like you and that maybe you couldn't trust anyone at the time like what were those emotions and, and going through your head uh it wasn't so much that i i thought my plan was the best because i really didn't have a specific plan which was probably the number one error that people make is actually starting a business with literally no no foundation no plan no nothing and so it wasn't that I thought that I knew better than everyone else. It was more so that, so the stuff that I learned in corporate America, the things that I learned at, at U of I, the things that I even picked up when I was hearing people talk about on the golf course, I just, I didn't think to apply it to my own business. Like I thought the stuff I learned in college, like, oh, that's cool. That'll help me in this job. And I never made the, the transition to say, oh, well, you could, instead of wasting time here and, and pretending like you're getting over and pretending like, and acting like you're working when you're not or trying to look busy, you could be trying to figure out what they're doing in this business that you could then translate into yours. But my mindset wasn't there yet. And so therefore I didn't do it. It was just kind of like, I didn't, it was like, this was one world and this was a separate world. And I never could figure out how to bridge the two. Were you um, married by then? Uh, I got married when I was 27. So I got married, let's see, that was right around the time when I, uh, yeah, I was definitely laid off by then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's part of where the mon- the, some of my money went to, right? Getting married, planning the perfect uh, wedding and honeymoon and all this stuff. Yeah, that, that was definitely part of, of me spending money on frivolous things that I that I did not need to. Not that marriage was, was frivolous for me, but I, I I certainly could have, you know, you don't have to go all out and do all these extra things. Like you could just actually focus on the marriage part instead of the having the perfect wedding. Okay. And folks, she has on her website, daniellepierce.com and all the links are in the description, whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or, or, or wherever you can, she has a section, um, marriage and business, how to do business with Bay, which we elope because my wife is one of those few women who are like, she's from Cameroon. So she's like, I, I don't need a big, I don't need a big wedding. And I said, I don't need any wedding. I just want to, you know, I don't want to get burnt up um, yeah. if the rapture comes. And so <laughs> let's um, p- plus, you know, dating can be um, expensive and we still date, but at least it's a solid investment. I tell people to date, you know, while married. So she has a things that she can um, teach you. Because for me, like marriage, 
in business, I mean, those things go hand in hand. They do. Marriage is a business. Like um, the, some pastors will say church is a business. People think it's one thing, but it's really something else. You got to deal with this crazy person who says, I want to, you know, shave my head. Then I want to grow locks and, hey, let's go to Malta and all that. And so, you know, and I know I, I have issues. So marriage is definitely business. You need to learn how to deal with those crazy business partners like myself. So let's get talk about that just a little bit because some folks I think in marriage um if they're ready to leap their partner's not ready to leap so maybe they want to take even like $2000 and go to a conference and say you know I need to learn more and then their spouse is saying $2000 man I was trying to buy a new whatever those type of compromises do you do you tap into those in the marriage and business um, so that is, I consider that to be like life coaching or, cause I, I, it's very tricky to advise people what they should or should not do when they're married. And I get asked that question pretty directly quite a bit. Usually it's from, um, from women and sometimes it's from guys and they'll say, I really want to do this, but my partner isn't, my wife isn't on board and my husband isn't on board. Or they'll say, could you talk to them? And I'm just like, uh, I mean, I don't really get into that. Um, so I do think that you have to decide first and foremost, are you married to the person that you should be married to? Meaning that you respect this person's opinion and you feel like they genuinely have your best interest at heart because those are, it's a separate conversation versus someone who's, you know, they're just married. Maybe the marriage is rocky. Maybe they shouldn't have got married in the first place. Maybe they don't really like each other. Maybe they're out to sabotage each other. Um, I'd hate to say, but that's more common than what what you may think. So you have to decide which side of the fence you're on. Now, if you do have a healthy marriage and your partner is, you know, pretty intelligent person, you think they're really looking out for you. That's someone that you want to listen to their concerns. And then you want to try to take steps to alleviate those concerns along the way versus just doing things, you know, your own way by yourself and just saying, all right, well, they'll just get on board if they can't. That's if you have a healthy relationship. Now, if you don't have a healthy relationship, then I mean, I don't really have any advice for you because that's a, it's a different conversation. I know for me, I will say this, whatever issues you have in your marriage will show up in your business. Um, and, and that's something that I wasn't expecting. So if you are, if you have issues with, you know, if you guys are kind of like competing for control or, you know, this person always wants to be right, or this person always does everything and this person kind of just follows along or vice versa, those same exact issues will come up in your business. Like there's no running away from it. It just keeps coming back, coming back until you grasp that lesson. And so for some people, you know, I tell them, you really have to be ready when you're working with your significant other, because just because you're. Uh, linked romantically doesn't mean that you'll make a business partner. And that is real talk. Now, for the, you know, folks who have trouble with this, I found that for, you know, that power struggle, my wife mm -hmm. um, is um, in, in medicine and she didn't think like an entrepreneur and she's got there now. But once she got there to the stop the power struggle, it was so easy. And she has her own healthcare businesses in our PR and consulting firm help, you know, systemize and do that stuff. But I made her CEO of my company. And so when you want to buy something, buy it. You're the CEO. Who do you have to ask? Don't just buy it if you want to buy it. And it's a and it's an easy thing to give up power and to see then what moves people will make. And of course you still ask me, but I really don't want to know because I'm just the um principal or whatever title, you know, of the mm -hmm. co-owner. 
but there's ways um, if you trust the person and you don't think they're going to run up. We don't do credit in our business. So if you don't run up the credit, uh, nah, don't let them do that. Cause, but I, I love that. I love when people tackle that. And for $500 an hour, Danielle Pierce may. She may tackle those questions. She said she won't, but you guys are going to have to pay for that, that game because she has a YouTube where she's giving plenty. I mean, you're really going in and you have courses and the programs and the master classes. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about these master classes. I kind of want you to sell them to the people because there are just so many people who are, are stuck and they have the energy. Some of them have the time. They just don't have the information. Sure. So of course I'm in real estate and I'm actually going into my 13th year as an entrepreneur full time. And, uh, but don't take that to me that I've always been killing it. Cause like I said, the first five, five and a half years are really, really rough. So my two areas that I focus on, one is getting contracts to repair foreclosed properties. Second one is tax lien investing. So I'm a huge fan of both and for different reasons. So I'll just go into those. So for property preservation, uh, essentially you're doing all the repair and maintenance work on bank owned property. So think about the properties where you live in the neighborhood that are boarded up where the grass is kind of really is maybe four or five feet tall. There's a bunch of trash or debris inside the property or outside in the yard. Um, people keep breaking into the properties. So all of that work that has to be done to make that property um, to get it ready for sale, that is considered property preservation. So it's a lot of repair and maintenance. What I have found over and over again is that a lot of people aren't aware of the industry. It's kind of still like a very much so, just like all of real estate, like, you know, middle-aged white men for the most part. A lot of people aren't aware of the industry, but then when they do become aware of the industry, they're like, oh, I can do this work, but I don't know how to go and get these contracts. So what I kind of do is I link the two, the, the two together. So I'm like, okay, this is how you get the contracts. This is the business structure that you need. This is how you set up because you do need a business, Kellen. You have to have, uh, you could do a sole proprietorship, but if you have the money, then of course a different, you know, a structure that allows for more separate, separate separation, I should say, between you and the businesses is better. So an LLC, or maybe you consider tr- turning that into uh, an S corp or something like that. So you set up a business. You have to have general liability insurance, uh, professional liability insurance, and possibly workman's compensation insurance. You also have to pass a background check. So the background check is I, I get lots of questions about that. So that's why I'm spending some time here. I know that you can't have any felonies. I know that for a fact. I do know that you can have certain misdemeanors, but I don't know which ones those are. Uh, the company that does all the background checks for the industry is called Aspen Grove Solutions, and somebody could type that in the comments. So you could contact them directly to see how far back they go for backgrounds, what's considered a, a, a misdemeanor that's acceptable and what, what isn't. Um, do you, do they cross over into other states, which I'm pretty sure that they do, but you have to have the background check with the highest clearance back in order to get a contract. And if you don't pass the background check, or if you can't, then you, that's when people set up the business under, um, their husband or their wife's name, like, like we talked about earlier, or someone else that you trust. But those are the very, very basic, um, foundational things that are required. So business, GNL insurance, errors and omissions insurance, pass the background check. And then from there, it's a question of where do I go to apply to get these contracts? So of course, in my training programs, I go through, there's about 12 national companies that I really like. 
there's hundreds of others, local, regional, and smaller firms that, you know, I don't necessarily recommend applying to right off the bat, but I hope people go through the process with the, the different contracts. My first contract and company I still work with today is a company called Altisource, which if you're in real estate, you probably have heard of them. Uh, Altisource Solutions is one company. Uh, for all the rest of them, of course, you'd have to work with me to get that information, but I will tell you that one because that's a, a, a national company that you could sign up with. And then from there, it's a matter of, you know, doing the application and being selected as a vendor, selecting your territory that you want to cover. You could stay local. You could work out of state. I recommend staying local if you're, in the, uh, if you're just starting out. And our very first six months, we only made $30,000, but the next 12 months, we made $332,000 or something like $332 or $333. And it's a great business to start if you want to be an entrepreneur and own your own business. And if you have the flexibility, if you have a nine to five, if your job is somewhat flexible and will allow you to respond to an email or a text during the day, it also is great if you have that type of job situation. And if you want to work with family and friends, um, I did it and it wasn't necessarily ideal for me. It's not to say that it won't be ideal for you. I think you just have to select them as you would anyone else. So don't just say, oh, this is my best cousin or my best friend. Let's, let's go into business together. Uh, Kellen made a point earlier about thinking like an entrepreneur. So if you are a longtime entrepreneur like I am and your partner or the person that you're thinking about bringing on board is has never been an entrepreneur, that is a, I want to say a disaster waiting to happen, but it's going to be hard because the, the, and that's not to say one's better than the other, I'm not saying that, but the thought process is very, very different. If you eat, if you know how to eat what you kill, that's a different mentality than someone who's like, oh. I'll just sit here and wait for you to tell me what to do and how much you're going to pay me. Does that make sense? So it's very, very different. So I'm just throwing that out there. But in terms of the, the income and revenue possibilities, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's as high as you want it to be. So there's the downsides because people always say, well, that's negative. What's bad about the industry? You tell them that's all the good stuff. The difficult part, the ongoing difficult part will be locating and keeping suitable contractors. Unless, like a lot of my brothers and my sisters too, I'm finding out, if you can do this level of repair and maintenance work yourself, then that is such a blessing. Because then all you literally need is the business structure around you and the insurance around, you know, meet the insurance requirements and to go out and get the contracts. And then you could literally shift the, like I'll, I've, I'm in a position now where I'd never have to go work for anybody else. And I, I can't at this point. I mean, I'm unemployable. It's been too long. Like once you get a taste of freedom, it's hard to go back. <laughs> hard to go back talk. to somebody telling you, um, yes. um, you know. <laughs> talk that talk. Uh, yeah, I got I to gotta ask for vacation days. I can't go to this funeral. I mean, it's, it's, <sighs> it's challenging. So once you break free, no, you can't go back. And if you do this the right way, this is your opportunity to do that. So that's all for property preservation. You want me to talk about tax liens now? I want you to talk about it all, but I want to, you know, what she said, a lot of folks, they dream of, of, of that because I, I just came back from a big conference on TV. Everybody was there, Netflix, Hulu, Warner Brothers, Sony, and mm -hmm. someone had told me, you know, you should be an executive. I said, I already am. And I said, I said, and, and I said, I knew what, you know, what they were going at, but I said, when I want to go snowboarding or if I want to go wherever, 
I want to go and I want to go. Yeah. And, 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 and so I don't, you know, that even I was like, ah, that would take a lot of, I mean, you'd have to offer me, I mean, a position that would be historical in my mind. <laughs> be, be, he said historical. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like the first, you know, um, first um, non-Spanish speaker to run Viacom, uh, you know, South America or something. I, I really like Viacom Africa because I like to be in Africa. But um, yeah, something historical. First American to you know something historical. But that that's a beautiful thing. And when she's throwing out those numbers, people. And if you're watching on YouTube, and I know most of you guys listen on the podcast, we haven't shifted you to YouTube yet. But you know when you see her beautiful earrings and her matching necklace set, you'll say, oh, that's okay. That's what I could get if I really hustle grind and put the time in so um yes please go into the tax liens because i love learning from your channel about tax liens i always watch stuff on tax liens but i really liked your delivery on it you didn't oversell it you made it simple and i'm moving again to florida where you get some of the highest percentages 18 percent at the moment and um can foreclose in i think about three years and i'm like ooh. It's like a it's like a, a small gamble for for someone who wants to you know I don't gamble but a small gamble. Yes. So if you are someone who is risk averse, then definitely tax lien investing will appeal to you. Florida has lots of competition though, pretty much throughout all the major the the counties, uh, and it does take a few years in order to actually go from tax lien to tax deed. So that's why I do not invest in Florida. But just to back up a minute, so tax when I'm referring to tax lien auctions, I'm referring to going to basically a physical auction and properties are being sold just like the auctions that you see on TV. It's literally just exactly like that. Uh, very, the very, very stereotypical way that you see it portrayed. Uh, the properties are delinquent in property taxes. And so every, most cities and counties uh, have a mechanism where they recoup lost tax dollars from people not paying their property taxes. So some people look at this and like, oh, wow, you know, you're taking advantage of people or this can be predatory. And it absolutely can be, but it doesn't have to be. So you you can do tax lien investing both ethically and, and make money at the same time. Like a lot of times in our community, we think that if someone's making money, that they're the devil. And it's, just, <laughs> it's very, very weird to me. It's like, um, I don't know if that's an excuse for you just to stay rooted in poverty, but I can assure you that you can do this in a way that's not predatory. So in order to go to, to learn more about tax liens, you could do a couple of things. Of course you could work with me and uh, I'll post my contact information down below, or you can go find it at daniellepierce.com. But wherever you are right now, what I'd like for you to just do is take these following steps. First, you're going to contact the local tax assessor's office where you live. And you're just going to say, hey, when's the next tax lien sale? Or if you're in a state where they offer deeds, you'll say, when is the next tax deeds sale? But however you phrase it, they'll know what you're referring to. A lot of times people, we like to make things really, really complicated. And we're like, oh, I don't know where to go to get this information. Well, it's kind of their job to sell these properties or to get rid of these properties and to get them back on the tax rolls. And it's kind of their job to answer your questions. Now, some places like, like Chicago, like... 
you know, other big cities, you know, they can be a little, a little sketchy over the phone and, and short-tempered. It's kind of like going into, anybody ever been to the public aid office? It's kind of like going in, or to getting your, getting, getting your driver's license, that experience. For most people, people, it, it's usually not that pleasant. So sometimes they're not very happy about it. The smaller counties, I think it's easier to navigate, but you can do two things. You can either go in person or you can go online. And again, just go to the tax assessor's website is where you're going to start. And from there, you kind of have to dig around to find out when the next tax lien sales are going to be and the process to register and where they're being held. A lot of the sales are live, meaning you have to go in person, but some sales are online where you could actually be like, I'm in Texas now and I'll be, I bid on properties in Indiana last year and I'll be doing the same again this year. I also bought a property in Memphis from here. Uh, I still haven't seen it yet. I'm going to go there soon, but so you can actually do these things from your computer as well. But if you're brand new, I recommend staying local. So you go, you find out when the next sale is, find out what the registration process is. Sometimes there's a registration fee. So with regard to the fee, uh, if you're a place, if it's a place like California, they may want you to put up a $5,000 deposit for LA County. If you're in a place like Indiana, uh, the registration fee may be $500. In Chicago, it's $1,000. Um, but the fee does go towards what you buy. So it's not like you're just paying the money and it's disappearing. Mm -hmm. It goes towards what you buy. Unless, here's the catch, you owe the city money. If you owe the money for unpaid water bills, unpaid parking bills, old property taxes for a property that you have, then that money goes towards that. You can't owe any city any money and then go bid at a property tax sale. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. The point of the sale is to generate lost revenue. So if you're someone who is part of that lost revenue, you got to yeah. pay up. <laughs> so you have to, you got to get clean with the city. Um, a lot of people ask that you have to do it under a business. You don't have to. You could. Um, it's completely up to you. Um, if you're going to a lien sale, though, uh, there's a redemption period to where it's technically not your property once you win the bid for the tax lien. So in that case, it doesn't really matter if you're an individual or a business because you have that waiting period. And then once the property is yours, you can just transfer it into a trust or an LLC or whatever it is that you want to do. It doesn't really matter. Um, redemption, I should talk about that. So every, most places have a time frame to where the owner can come back and say, hey, I came up with the money, plus the penalties, plus the interest, all the money that I owe, and I'm going to basically pay all this and then release your claim to my property. And if that happens, that's still fine. Um, because then you still get paid all your money back that you invested, plus the statutory rate of interest, which could be, uh, like Helen said, anywhere from some places it's really low. It's like a couple states where it's only 5%. I would say if I had to put an average, I would say 10 to 12%. Uh, places like Texas and Georgia, 25% a year. Uh, Illinois, New Jersey, and I think you said, where are you located again? I'm in Seattle on my yeah. way to Florida. 18%. So it, it just depends. So you get that money back that you paid plus that interest plus your attorney's fees as well. So you're not out of any money at all. You're just out of the time that you spent, you know, researching a property and bidding on it, et cetera. But it's literally like, so like I consider property preservation to be probably one of the handful of businesses that you could start with relatively low cost high profit margin, no college degree required, same for tax lien investing, especially in areas where 
gentrification is rampant. For example, you know, I did a video the other day on Philadelphia, which you definitely should check out because it's pretty dope if you have it. And I did one for Memphis too, because there are areas where a lot of people are investing, but they don't live in the state. Like you have a lot of investors from out of state and from out of the country who are buying properties in these neighborhoods, you know, trying to kind of get a lock on the land and properties because, you know, they have information obviously that, you know, that we don't have. And with regard to the information, um, a lot of this stuff, you guys, is public record. In fact, I would say most of it is. The, the plans for the city um, or the development plans, they're typically written years in advance. So if you just search around on the website, like we use our phones and computers for so much, but if you just took the time to, to click around on your city's website and say, you know, let me see what's going on at these the development meetings, these planning meetings, it's there. So you can see what the plans are like for uh, Indiana, for example, Indiana has a huge casino that's being built there. And they have, uh, I think there's another, either an Amazon plant or another factory is going to be built there as well. Like right there, basically Gary is going to go from booming, which it once was, to now depressed, to back to booming again. So much so that at the la one of the last sa the sales last year, one investor bought, I think, 552 liens wow. uh, in an area where they're building the, either the casino or Indiana University. But again, that's not like secret information. The information is out there, but they just knew it and they acted upon it. So I say all that to say, start by going to your local tax assessor's office, finding out when the next sale is. And if for God's sake, go to a sale so you can get that visual that you need to kind of shift your perspective. And once you see how everybody knows each other and they're buying this property and these lands for cheap, and you've been missing out, then I think that'll be motivation for everybody else. And we know Gary needs it. When you were talking about, you know, how the minimum for Gary, I thought you were going to say five dollars because I remember, <laughs> remember my last time there, and I said you can buy what for what? Only if I wanted to live here. But no, Kellen. So Gary actually has some beautiful areas, though. It does. All of Gary is not depressed. And there's actually lakefront property, not in Gary, but one of the cities right next to it. I think it's Miller Beach is the city. There's actually lake properties that border Lake Michigan um, that you can acquire there. It's not maybe not at a tax sale. If you do, you'll it'll still be expensive, but it has some pretty nice areas too. Okay. Well, let's talk about a place like um, Gary or the, um, you know, the, 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 shocking amount of a house that you've bought and it was like you know i'm saying in gary for maybe five fifteen dollars okay being fair to gary fifteen dollars um because i saw some houses and i said you can get a house i'm being from california i was young yeah. my first time and i said wait you can buy a house for under fifty thousand dollars where um gary and ruston louisiana and you know the, these places so what's detroit. the best detroit so what's the best deal for and i'm trying to think of a person who says i want to buy a house but maybe i also want to live in it so i don't want to buy i want you know i want to buy the best deal what's the best deal you've ever bought for a house that you could live in and do you know not too much work um, all the properties I've gotten, I've have, have have needed work. So the lower the price, the more work the property is going to need. The cheapest I paid was in fact in Gary, and it was a property See? that I See? won for uh, <laughs> for five hundred dollars. And what I did with that property and about three others as well, actually ended up putting those properties right back on the market. So that's basically wholesaling. Is when you sell the property mm -hmm. as is, not, not doing any work to it. And I sold them for like 
$5,000. So it, it was a win for me and a win for them. Um, you don't make as much money because you're not doing repairing the property and doing a flip and all of that stuff, but you unload the property a lot faster. So the cheapest I paid is, um, is 500. Now, if you're asking what, what could you pay and have something that's in move-in condition that, so hmm, if we're talking about Indiana or Lake County, you could do that in a few parts of Gary for maybe 10,000, 15,000, but it's better if you're looking for something that you can kind of move in right away. I would look at some of the surrounding cities like Hammond has some really nice areas, Maryville, Sherrillville, Griffith, East Don't get too much game. Some of that they got to hit you up. And <laughs> that's consultation. We love to give the game, but you see, she knows what she's talking about. Sometimes I get these alerts and I can hear, I should get a siren. Um, and, and I can hear the audience questions and say, okay, I love what you're saying. I'm about to get my tax refund because I gave the government too much money in the year and let them hold it interest free. And I'm about to get this, this big chunk of money. Can I give my money to you and you invest it for me? And then, you know, I can make sure that I win. Um, can they do that? I get to ask that question quite a bit. I don't do that. I have, I, and I, I may at some point, uh, but I just haven't done it yet just because, there's a couple reasons for that. One, it's a lot of work and I got three children, eight, seven, and five, take up a bunch of time and I got a couple businesses to run. And so I, I just don't necessarily want to devote the time to that. But for two, you'd have to, if you're dealing with people's lump sums of money and they're not, they don't have a lot of those lump sums lying around, they typically want it back fast and they want a very high return. And so you have to, I would have to be careful to make sure that I work with people who understood that, okay, if you invest money here, this is the plan for this. This is going to take this amount of time. This is what you can expect back. And, you know, there's no, oh, I just need the money back real quick in the meantime. Because I know someone who did that, and that was the experience that they had. And people were like, oh, I need my money back. It's like, well, that kind of defeated the whole point of this. So, yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to vet if you do that and make sure. Um, I have a Forex broker. And as soon as we start getting into the Forex game and winning, why do they change the rules? So now you got to go get a series six, a series seven, you got to get this, you got to get that. But also when I would tell people about Forex and we've had um, different Forex guys come on here, they hit me up. Hey, I, 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 even friends of mine, I need to make some money real quick. Yeah. I got my last, mm -mm. you know, 2,500. Say, so check this out. That's not going to work because Forex is up and down. There's no guarantee like a Raiders game might be up in the beginning and then something happens in the fourth quarter and you're like, hold on. How could you fumble that many times? So, or penalties. So, you know, um, definitely have to vet the people, especially in, um, you know, when you're dealing with people's last, those are yes. people that I'm talking about. I'm talking more about folks who, you know, might work 80 hours doing whatever, but they have maybe a six figure income. So yeah, that's just something we don't like to just get the game. We like to give it mm -hmm. because I could see your personality that work and, you know, and it doesn't have to be a cheap cost. I mean, it, it, it could really be um, even subscription-based if you want it to for your, your VIPs. Just because $500 house and then to sell it for $5,000 and you didn't do anything to it. You just mm -mm. sat on it, waited for the right buyer, and that's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah. And redemption out there, I didn't mention this, uh, is only 120 days. So the waiting period to go from lean to, you know, to actually be able to get the uh, the tax deed is just four months. Um, so yeah, it's pretty short and that goes by really fast. Okay. And that's just in Gary. In it. That's in Indiana. So that's other in places, okay. uh, Illinois, two and a half up to three years, Florida, three years, Alabama, three years. I like places with one year or less is kind of my preference. Um, so you have to just kind of decide on your level of risk tolerance because everybody's mm-hmm. different. And then if you don't like the idea of waiting at all, then maybe you just invest in a deed state where once you buy, it's yours and it's a done deal. And that would be a place like um, certain counties in Louisiana, uh, mm-hmm. certain counties in Michigan, and also California. Do your research, folks. This that That's good here. Gary is looking better and better. Um, I, I'm teasing. You know, our Indiana's looking better and better. I'm yeah. teasing, but I found we went on a um to find our new state that we wanted to live. The family I have two two um daughters and my wife. We went to twenty two states, like we did, wow. and and we do that every four or whatever years when we say we're gonna move. But North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, is not to be slept on. And Stop it! I kid Wait you a minute. Not. Let me. I Tell kid, me more. I kid you not. We get there. It's, you know, it's Fargo, but um, it is beautiful. And I saw being in the get out state, that's what I call Seattle. It's just like the movie, the get out. Um, I saw more black businesses in, in ownership there per you know per capita. Um, we love to eat at the African restaurants. They have three in uh 10 mile radius and then Fargo is right on the border of Moorhead Minnesota which has its own universities and different hospitals and everything and they had the nicest club in Fargo um, for an African club beautifully done I mean everything is top-notch and I was just like I could be here police chief very nice guy he's just walking by himself which I don't know too many police chiefs that walk the beat still he says I like to do this weekly um and he was so I mean he took 20 30 minutes I mean I could have interviewed him right there (laughs) and it was a beautiful place really Um, yes um so you know that's a place that I'm looking at because they're having a lot of growth they're having like uh, a big condo thing big high-rise thing being built that the top floors are like two million dollars and i ask everyone who's buying those and they're like we have no idea but we're not <laughs> you know because we, we this is so alien to to fargo but very, and you can still keep your door open which is something that i mean i i keep something if you come in you'll come out a different way um but i never right. i never keep my door open um, and I was like, I could really do that. And the only other places I see, you see that in the Midwest and we've, I've lived in various places, but like, even if you go to Malta, the cab drivers have told us you can leave your wallet on the, the car overnight and nothing will happen. And that's just so foreign to me. I'm like, wow. I want to move to Malta and get EU citizenship as well. So that's, I wow. mean, yeah. So Indiana, you're giving me that vibe that wait, how long? Okay, maybe we need to look into Indiana. 
but we'll see. I want to get into though, because you are so multifaceted. She also has a book, people. When you go to her website and you go right to Amazon, she's not being greedy. Um, she doesn't want your credit card information. Give it to Amazon. But you also are teaching people about stocks. And if I read correctly, when I was being so nosy looking through the tags, you even talk about cannabis stocks. Talk about stocks a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I'm not the a cannabis expert though. So I like the way I talk about stock stock investing is I just encourage people to to do it. And I bring on people who are, you know, experts in the field to talk about it. So I talked with my friend, Courtney Nicole, who is, uh, do you know Courtney? Courtney. Uh, that name sounds very familiar. Yeah. Courtney is uh, one of the top black financial bloggers to follow. She's written up in Black Enterprise. Uh, we also did Brown Girls Do Invest together, which is a tour that um, we traveled to four places in 2019 to talk about financial literacy. But she is an attorney and also a formal stock stock broker or investment advisor. But um, I do tell people that, you know, it's not as difficult as you may think. Uh, they are free apps, just like there's apps for, you know, all the other stuff that we do that doesn't really add value to our lives. Uh, you can start just by downloading Robinhood, which is, again, free. You can buy stocks from Robinhood. And if you're looking to invest on behalf of your children, you can uh, download an app called Stockpile. And you can buy, Stockpile also allows you to buy shares of a stock. Robinhood, you only can buy a full share. So, for example, let's take um, Amazon, which is, I think Amazon is, is it $1,800 right now or something like that? Whatever it is. Um, Robinhood, you have to pay for the full share at once, which is, let's say, 1800 bucks. If it's stockpile, you can pay for, let's say you got $500, you could buy $500 worth of, you know, a particular stock and you can buy it in increment. So that's why I think stock, some people like stockpile a little bit better than the others. But yeah, it is a great way to, in fact, investing is the only way that you're going to, you know, create you know, money that, that kind of lasts to the next generation investing and, and having a business, just having a job. I mean, and I don't care how great your job is, it's just not going to cut it for you just because the returns on, you know, if we talk, cause I'm not licensed, so I can, and I'm not telling you to invest in these stocks either, but I know people who are licensed can't even mention specific names. But if you look at a place, a stock like Shopify, Shopify went up almost hundred percent last year. That means 10000 in Shopify at the beginning of the year goes to $20,000. Where else can you do that at? So 100000 goes to 200000 So Shopify did really well. And then there's some other stocks too that, you know, that just had crazy returns. Now, my cannabis stocks are, <laughs> they are not doing that great. However, I'm going, I'm down for the cause. I'm going to stay in there because cannabis is still sorting itself out. And all my cannabis investing friends are like, oh, you just got to be patient. I'm like, oh, look, I think I'm up to 150 shares now between I have Aurora and what's the other one? I have Kronos and they're just, man, they're tanking. But I'm hopeful that things will turn around. <laughs> no, you got you got to stay you got to stay in there. Um, there's so many stocks I've been told not to buy, like, when I was younger yeah. and then it was like, hold on. I mean, I had satellite radio stock when they said, don't buy that. And I'm not mad that I bought it the way I bought it, you know, and I didn't have the money <laughs> and it was at risk, but I believe that satellite radio, like other things are just the the future. If not the now, everyone else yeah. just has to catch up. You know, like E40 says, I'm not talking too fast. Y'all just listening too slow. And <laughs> some of them are just thinking too slow. So yeah. we got to get there. 
first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so with all this information, I mm-hmm. want to know, um, and, and it's kind of in what you do, but we ask all of our guests, what is your community give back with all the success that you're having? My community, you know, my community give back, I was just telling someone yesterday, is actually the reason why I do uh, my videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, I do the my content on YouTube and I give away so much information there. It's for people who... I know want to do things, but they literally just don't have the money because it's easy to say, like, I know Gary Vee and some other people talk about things like, oh, if you had money, you'd really, if you really want to do something, you'd find a way and you'd find the money and yada, yada, yada. So sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's also not true. Um, I like what my friend Courtney told me one time. She said that she feels like people like Dave Ramsey and a few others, they kind of speak from a place of privilege. And I totally get why she says that because they're still assuming that, you know, you can't be broke, broke, right? Like you got a 401k <laughs> somewhere or you got like a small inheritance somewhere or a savings account or some stocks. But it's like, no, people, it's like a lot of folks just do not have anything at all, right? So, and I know what that feels like. So if that's where you're starting from and you really want to do something else, then you got to really take small baby steps to get there. So that's what I get people. That's why I talked about FEMA inspections on one of my um videos and how I made like $15,000 in two months doing that. I was like, oh, this is a website where you go to apply. There's only two places where you can go to be a female inspector. This is how much it pays. This is how you get reimbursed for all these different things. I got an email yesterday from a girl. She was like, thank you so much. I turned in my application the other day and I got another email of like, oh, I'm actually going out to, you know, I got my badge. That's what you, they call it when you get your, um, become an approved inspector. I got my badge. I'm being deployed out here. That's that. That's what I'm looking for, like those small success stories, because I know that if you're able to just take those steps from a video and actually take action, then you'll you, when you're ready to come do the other things and you'll come back my way and we can talk about the preservation or the tax lien investing. But my YouTube channel is my community give back. OK, and that I love that FEMA story. I'm actually I think I, I want to almost tag that. But okay. if you can give um, just a, they, they can go get certified and then they can go be on a list and a roster. And I assume then the government picks them out or do they kind of have to search for the work? So the, uh, I'll give you the, the two websites uh, or the two companies. Mm-hmm. One is Vanguard. So it's Vanguard Emergency Management. Mm hmm. Because um, FEMA, you know, the government awards contracts for everything. And FEMA mm-hmm. is no exception to that. So Vanguard has one. And the other company is called uh, WSP, he like Peter, WSP Inspection Services. Um, unless they've changed their name again. But those are the two companies. So one pays a flat fee. Actually, I take that back. Vanguard used to pay 35 to 50 per inspection. Um, and the inspections take like, you know, 20, 30 minutes, not very long. They used to pay 35 to 50 per inspection and the other company would pay by the hour. But there's been a switch now to where Vanguard now is also paying by the hour and the hourly rate, I want to say is 30 or 33 bucks an hour. Um, so the thing with that is you have to be mobile. You have to be ready to be deployed. If they tell you to go to Puerto Rico or they tell you to go to Florida or wherever, you have to go. But you're reimbursed for travel expenses getting there, travel expenses coming back, laundry expenses, uh, what else? There's a per diem for um, your hotel and for food. So it's kind of really, I mean, I thought it was the best thing ever and I wish I'd known about it, you know, back in college or right after college because I feel like it's a game changer. Um, 
and it is a game changer. And then, like I said, I did, we did like, I did like $15,000 in, in 60 days and it didn't really feel like a lot of that much work. Now you do encounter some severe devastation along the way. Cause I was working that year, I think it was 2017. And there was like five disasters that year. Wow. There was a couple in Florida, Texas got hit really hard and in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico just got slammed a couple times this year again. So you'll be deployed to any of those places. And then how long you stay is kind of up in the air. And, um, yeah, you have to be ready for that because some people don't like the idea of not knowing exactly when this starts, when this ends. So if you're like that, then don't do it. But if you have that flexibility, then I would say go for it because you'll meet some great people. And then from there, last thing I'll talk about because I got all these ideas always in my head. Um, and from doing FEMA inspections is how I learned out about how I found out about insurance adjusting. And that also is another can be a very highly paid career or business, depending on which route you go. And again, no degrees required. You just need your adjuster licenses in a bunch of different states, but you don't need a college degree. And I was just like, wow, like there's a whole world out here of stuff that we just never know about. You know what I mean? So I'm looking to catch those people in their 20s, you know, maybe late teens and kind of give them more options than just go to college and get a job and go work for somebody else. This stuff should be taught in middle school, maybe even elementary. I never have heard about that. And I feel like what you don't know is why you don't grow. My company is FEMA certified, but it was because of a team member certifying us because of some government contracting. And they're like, hey, we certified you. And I'm like, okay, great. Because in the government, what's just another certification, but never would I have even thought, but I speak to, I love speaking to youth. And when I wish I could have told every youth like, Hey, this is that. So I'm going to say, you guys got to check out the Danielle Pierce YouTube channel to find all this good game. And because yeah, I'm going to be talking about that. I know some people today who need to pack their bags, don't have any kids, nothing to lose as our great leader says of this country um and go what not that I, we, we gotta leave it on that people you guys <laughs> have got so much game to absorb rewind take notes make sure you go to daniellepierce.com check out our website get the book because if she taught you this much in an hour think about what else she has to say from her youtube to everything else I thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Calvin. This was a pleasure. Can't wait to see the, uh, the is it going to go on uh, YouTube or? It, it will go on everything that um, allows us to, to post. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, you will definitely get a, um, a copy. A copy. Alrighty. Thanks for the, uh, the, the time and the opportunity. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and AL. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.